1: Would you object to never seeing me again? This is not just a couch. It's just our couch! Take the red pill, and I show you how deep the rabbit hole goes. You leave the light on after bedtime. I always thought it would be better to be a fake somebody, a real nobody.
0: Are we gonna air it?
1: Of course not.
0: Measure it.
1: Hi. He must be Dr. Mumford of Mumford.
0: What kind of doctor
1: are you? Ph.D. Psychologist.
0: Not a real doctor.
1: That's right, the fake kind.
0: How long have you been in this town? Oh, I don't know. Four months, two and a half weeks. And you've already got more patients than those other two shrinks combined.
1: Everyone in Mumford is sharing their secrets with the new psychologist. Feel free to lie down.
0: I better not, I'll fall right to sleep.
1: I think it's too soon for me to be sleeping with you. But he's got the biggest secret of all. You want to know a secret? I'll tell you a secret. Don't you find it incredibly convenient that everyone who could possibly corroborate his story has recently died some exotic death? My graduate advisor died quite tragically in the collapse of a gazebo. You're shockingly honest. That's what makes you great. I don't know all that much about psychology or therapy or ethics.
0: This fall, found from the
1: State Certification Board, the truth its the fan. If you have any information about this man, contact your local law enforcement agency. This shrink school you went to, did you hear about it on an infomercial? From Lawrence Kasdan, writer-director of The Big Chill and Grand Canyon. Hey, Doc.
0: I didn't realize you're so young to be so...
1: I may be young, but Doc can tell you I'm very immature. Mumford. You've fallen in love with one of your patients? Doc. It's not me, is it? Mumford is up first.
0: Yeah, I'm actually excited about this.
1: That's good for you.
0: Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, here we go. Um, what are you, a hater of, like, The Big Chill?
1: Uh, I guess, I think I think The Big Chill's super fans would say I'm a hater, because I do think it's overrated. Uh, I don't think it's a bad film, per se, but, you know... Every time I've seen it, it never really holds up to people's memory of it. I don't think we're going to have that uh, same
0: conversation with Mumford, though. Do you?
1: Uh, no. Because <laughs> no one has any memory of it. It's been kind of <laughs> memory hold, uh, you know. And maybe they're better off. Maybe they're better off. Oh. <laughs> uh, uh.
0: See, I, I had fond memories of this one. Um but I don't really remember why because this is not something I like went back and revisited. Uh, but there were certain things that stuck out to me that as, I, as I was watching it. I'm like, oh yeah, we're gonna get to this moment. Uh, but then there would be very big uh, memory gaps uh, as far as how they connect that. Uh, and I don't really know if they do upon rewatch, but I kind of I already feel bad for Mumford for you like uh, punching down on such a, a sweet, kind-hearted movie.
1: I went in with, you know, neutral expectations and, okay, so I've, I've talked shit about the big chill, but I will say that the Kathleen Turner movie, uh, oh God, (laughs) (laughs) you know what I'm talking about. The Kathleen Turner, William Hurt, Neo-Noir, Body Heat, heat. uh, I was trying, I was going to say body and soul and I don't, I knew that was wrong, um. (laughs) Body Heat is, you know, one of the best neo-noirs, you know, of of all time and definitely the best noir of the 80s. Uh even even for me, I think it would be better even better than Blood Simple. And so that's a really accomplished movie. And, We've not
0: yet uh, revealed uh, Lawrence Caston's name yet. We've just sort of talked around him up to this point, and
1: people get the gist, you know. <laughs>
0: I, I'm I don't know with Mumford if they would <laughs> they would get anything as far as what what we're talking about or why this was featured, but uh, I would say he's probably the primary reason that uh, this one made the list.
1: Yeah, definitely. And and I had I I had a good I had neutral, you know. It from the looks of the cast, you know, the people here this looked like it would be, you know, pretty decent. And, and, and the genre is something I normally like. And I was about to mention it, but Lawrence Kasdan uh, wrote and direct uh, another one of my favorite movies of the 1980s, the accidental tourist. Uh, have you seen that film?
0: Not seen that one. I thought you were going to go to uh, grand Canyon, which I thought about quite a bit when it came to Mumford.
1: That's uh from 1991, uh, and and that's a good movie, but I mean, it's no accidental tourist. I think you should check out accidental tourist. You might really enjoy it. It's similar to Up in the Air and oh, okay. movies like that. Sold. Um, okay. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um,
0: enough.
1: but so this is definitely on his like downswing, you know, because after this he does Dreamcatcher, which is kind of you know unifiedly identified as the worst movie, not just of his career, but one of, you know, the worst Stephen King adaptations of all time. And I agree with that assessment. Um, and I think something I think with Mumford, I think there was a period in the late 90s where if an independent movie was quirky enough and, you know, bright enough and pleasant enough, that critics just kind of went to bat for it on autopilot without really uh, delving into the story so much. And that's the problem that I had with Mumford is that it kind of falls apart the minute you try to analyze uh, the characters' decisions and the way they're behaving around each other and Mumford as a protagonist himself. And we could go... All in all, into it, but it'd be kind of hard without going into spoiler territory. Suffice it to say, Mumford is a therapist in this small town where everyone's kind of pleasant and idyllic, and uh, he doesn't—he doesn't really seem to be giving great advice or be doing anything spectacular. But nonetheless, people around him seem to really be impressed with his skills, and that sort of the movie just kind of proceeds from there. So I don't know if there's much surprised. more I can say about going into spoiler territory.
0: Yeah. but Before going into spoilers, um, cause I don't think this is the case. It's in the, uh, like the first little paragraph on Wikipedia, as far as the plot, uh, that there are two other therapists working in the area. And I actually <laughs> for this watch forgot that they were even part of it. Uh, David, uh, Pamer and Jane Adams, because you know, you're sort of knocking, um, his skill set, which he sort of admits that he just listens, basically, or that he just, I guess, exudes patience and sort of a calming presence. Uh, so I'm watching the movie. I'm thinking, like, oh, okay, it's a s- small town, and um, this guy's the only, you know, this is the first time they've interacted with a therapist. This is the first time they've sort of opened themselves up to uh, talking about themselves and and opening up. And then uh, somewhere in the in the middle of this, they introduce these two other characters that I guess or as close as you get to uh antagonists here, uh, maybe Martin Schwartz character and a, an attorney. But um, even then there's not, there's not a lot of conflict uh, in, the, in this particular film. And you find that a lot with, in particular with ensemble films that deal with, uh, I guess, sweet uh, couplings that we have here. Like almost everyone in the ensemble is going to meet uh, another cast member mm-hmm. and they're going to fall in love. And it, you know, just, it, Presents just this sort of, as you said, this sort of uh, ideal situation for uh, for finding happiness pretty uh, quickly. Um, that being said, the film itself is not <laughs> it's not brief, and there are some things that they just sort of leave hanging. And I think uh, most of it probably, re- you know, revolves around our lead character here. So we'll get into spoilers here because um, strangely, the the character of Mumford himself kind of does that with uh, Jason Lee. Just says, "Hey, here's my backstory." And uh, basically, that's the axe the hanging over his head for the rest of the film until it's revealed to everyone else in the town. Want to know a secret? I'll tell you a secret. Since it's just between us and all, the secret, Skip, is this. I am not now, nor have I ever been,
1: a psychologist. Who else knows? Just you. It's time you did some talking, Dr. Mum. Wait a minute. That is your name, isn't it? What is your name? It doesn't matter. You can call me Doc.
0: It matters to me.
1: I've told you a lot of private stuff. I can tell you anything else. What about everything else? How did this happen? And 10 minutes later of, you know, oversaturated, uh, weirdly color-corrected flashbacks uh, really telling your whole you story. That. It, it, yeah, <laughs> that scene bothers me. Uh, you know, not just that, not just that. Even before that, I, I was sort of thinking to myself, okay, he's not a very good therapist. You know, he's kind of like he has this opening scene. His patient is describing to him, you know, these sexual fantasies that he has. And and Mumford's reaction is to, you know, dismiss him as though he is like, you know, the golem or, or something. Um, and, and then later uh, he says, oh, well, I never make uh, house calls or whatever, but then he's making a house call with, Jason Lee. But I'm thinking to myself, okay, maybe that's the idea. Maybe he's not supposed to be a a very good therapist. And, you know, sort of that's the answer. But then at the same time, the movie definitely wants you to believe that all these characters are finding him, you know, supremely helpful and satisfying uh, and everything. And I just don't see it. I just don't see it. Uh, I don't understand what they're getting out of him. Uh, you know, in terms in terms of uh, you know, bettering themselves and and all that, and I don't think it helps that Lauren Dean here, the actor playing Mumford, is just has like zero charisma uh, or, or appeal. <laughs> I knew
0: you were going to go there. Well,
1: <laughs> I'm, well, okay, maybe you knew I was going to go there because you know I'm right, and you know maybe okay if you took let's say Jason Lee who plays one of the patients here, he plays a what, billionaire entrepreneur who sells modems and sells uh, a fourth of the modems for for the entire world. Um, you take him as an actor and you put him in this therapist role, I could kind of see it. I could kind of understand that what people could be taken in by, you know, his personality and his charms and everything. But with Lauren Dean, it's like a blank slate, and I don't get why people are so forgiving of of him. This is a classic uh and this is going to come up again when we talk about Happy Texas uh a, you know a few weeks from now. Um this is a classic music man type scenario. A a Shyster Connors comes into town, uh you know, charms everyone and then everyone at the end Spoiler alert! Big spoiler alert! At this point, just kind of throws their hands up and goes, "Oh, but you enrich their lives so much better and everything." And it doesn't—it doesn't work if you're not charmed yourself by the protagonist.
0: I'm going to be a little less mean than you, although the—I think your point about Jason Lee is—is uh, is pretty damn good because, as you were, you know, pontificating on that uh, possible version of Mumford, I'm like, "Oh, that probably would be better."
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I think that the issue I had with Lauren Dean is actually everyone else. Um, I think that they, they're sort of forced to go a little, a little hokey, a little broad, almost to make up for this, <laughs> this vacuum, I guess this black hole of charisma as, <laughs> as you looked at it. <laughs> and, uh, I mean, I think, uh, like Ted Danson is someone who I like, I always, yeah. especially in the comedy. I like when he pops up and here, I was just like, Oh, um, He's just in this one note scene that he's an asshole. <laughs> that's it. Like that's like, that's, that's all we're going to get from this guy. And so it makes you think less of the Dr. Mumford character. Cause you're like, well, yeah, if that, they, if they're coming in as sort of one note cliches of people that are not three dimensional, it makes your job pretty easy. Um, so I was, I think I was more distracted with it now uh, the main character being Lauren Dean uh, than I was then because he was in a lot of stuff in the late 90s. And this is kind of like you were talking about with Lawrence cast. And I guess after Dreamcatcher was put in uh, in Hollywood Jail, I think he only had a, one other feature that he directed. Uh, Lauren Dean was in uh, what Apollo 13, uh, Gattaca, uh, like right before this. And uh, it, it, he has like a strange gap. I just don't
1: remember him. I faith. don't I don't remember him in Gattaca or, or Apollo 13. Who did he play?
0: Well, Gattaca, he's the detective chasing after, uh, after Ethan Hawke. I thought that so. was Alan
1: Arkin. Or no?
0: Well, I, I'm trying to avoid spoilers for Gattaca <laughs> there. <laughs> because his, I could I could easily say, like, this is who he is in Gattaca. But he's, oh, okay. I guess. Okay, so he's, there's a little bit more to his character there. Um, yeah, Apollo 13, How to Make an American Quilt. Uh, Rosewood, the end of violence, uh, all, all
1: blockbuster hits that, you know, uh, Rosewood is a very over, uh, a very underrated movie. See, uh, you, you go with snark and then you liked it. Uh, enemy of the state was 1998 yeah, yeah,
0: and then your man, Clint Eastwood, space cowboys. And then after that, he kind of goes to TV and then, uh. Doesn't, uh, I don't think he has a credit from 2000. Yep, his last credits 2011, then 2018. He appears on one episode of Grey's Anatomy, but
1: so this is the only lead role that you listed off there, and so it is still sticking out to me as an odd choice. You, you could pick almost anyone in this cast, and, and even David Pamer, and, uh, and mm. put them in the lead role. <laughs> and come up with something like you could rewrite it for a woman you could have uh Jane Adams or uh Elizabeth Moss you know 12 year old Elizabeth very young. Moss or whatever yes, very young. Uh, <laughs> uh, or Alfred Woodard Alfred Woodard you could rewrite this for Alfred Woodard and this that would be an interesting movie i would completely understand why people would find solace and warmth in Alfred Woodard's advice even if she was a carnarist uh but with with Lauren Dean. You know, there there just isn't much there. You don't really sense much thought process behind his decisions. And worse than that, you, you know, it's established that he's actively kind of manipulating uh, certain people in particular, Hope Davis, who he seems—that's the one he's romantically involved with, correct? Or trying to be. Right. It's been a few weeks since I saw it. <laughs>
0: Yeah. Yeah. He, uh, I I think pretty early on, uh, he, he says we're going to like take these little sessions outside the office
1: because she, uh, Like it's the first rule. It's like the first rule of your fake, uh, Hippocratic, Hippocratic oath, you know, that you didn't take. I mean, you know, got to keep up appearances at least I would think.
0: (laughs) Did you have an issue with him, uh, pretty quickly telling, uh, I guess his uh, richest client, Jason Lee, um, like here's my secret. Um, I actually am <laughs> a con man. This is not my real name.
1: <laughs> and that's what this you should do. Job. That's what you should do with your life, Jason Lee. Uh, <laughs> just lie to people and be a con artist, and there you go. Pro- you won't be unhappy anymore. Um, this is a weird movie. I there. So so. Have you ever heard the criticism of uh, Ron Howard's A Beautiful Mind that it's basically telling you know schizophrenics and people who are bipolar to just stop taking their medicine and mm, they'll be fine. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I hate that criticism of that movie because I think it completely ignores the specifics of uh, Nash's uh, situation. But I think it's a good criticism to apply here because there's really, there's all, there, he doesn't do anything uh, that's actually good for these people. It, you know, you, you know and, and most of the time he's doing nothing. Uh, and just kind of reacting to Jason Lee uh, building this like Axe Machina kind of setup, uh, you you know at his factory with this robot woman that he's building. Well, um,
0: he does provide some pretty, you know, vintage pornography, my friend. That he I don't know how he cobbles that together, but it's it is a it seems to be a well uh, appreciated gift that uh, he gives to his one client that likes you know likes to to have his his fantasy life. I don't know really why that works though <laughs> like and like because in that and with him he's trying to i think he even states he's trying to get him to uh, basically place himself in the fantasies and i don't know why porn you know backdated to like the uh, 40s or 50s era uh, allows him to see himself in in those sexual situations where i guess uh modern pornography does not because this character is not even really uh, you know, coming up with scenarios that <laughs> would be on, you know, uh, porn tube or anything. So, it, you're. I mean, you're right. The, the stuff that <laughs> Mumford presents as sort of aha moments, uh, if you think about them too much, uh, I don't really see how they help. Other than he's just uh, patient and doesn't really raise his voice, even to people he dislikes.
1: So you're in good company because, like, all the reviews I read from people I respect, you know, from 1999, like Roger Ebert and you know, such and such, uh, <laughs> like they all they all liked it and they all said it was charming and funny and and quirky and that it really lifted their spirits. And I just don't feel that way. So I don't know. I, I'd like like I want to hear more about why it worked for you.
0: <laughs> I think there's individual scenes that work. Um, yeah, I, I like anything with uh, Mary McDonald really uh, pretty much any, any time. Uh, and I, I think there's a, there's a moment with a young, uh, I think this is the first uh, film role for uh, Zoe Deschanel. Um, because she, you know, she attempts to, or at least she, she's probably the closest one as far as a patient that calls Mumford on a shit a little bit. Um, so there's just individual moments that stuck out with me that I liked. Like as I'm watching the film, Back then, I'm like this. This is nice. This is pleasant, and I don't know in, in 1999 if I felt like, oh, I want to see more of this. Uh, but I know when it was on our list, I was I was very much looking forward to it. Like, oh, that'll be you know great to go back to something that wouldn't be made now, or if it was, you know, it would be a it would be like a six part you know half hour series on Netflix or something with uh, you know even you know the quirk would be heightened to the extreme. Um, but I what I had forgotten. Like, I'd forgotten about the sex robots, which I don't know. Some of the sometimes with these comedies, when they it's like they're going for a gag, like yeah, it's like they don't seem to have confidence in just presenting regular people that are being kind of like you know, affable and kind to each other. So they're like, okay, we need something weird here. So, you know, just to induce laughter in the audience, even just have sort of a nervous energy, like oh, that's a strange thing, those sex robots, but um. Yeah, I, d- I didn't care for that, and uh, I think I mentioned yeah Ted Danson. I didn't didn't really care for him. So I guess really when it gets, <laughs> it's strange. Anytime it gets into anything like negative in the film, um, I, I feel like they're only putting it in there for like a fake, a sort of fake hustle version of conflict that doesn't really happen. Like <laughs> there, there is like a. A st- there is a time capsule element to the fact, and it was probably too late for this even in 1999. That the big reveal on how he gets caught by the townspeople is that everyone is watching unsolved mysteries at the exact same time, <laughs> and he like looks out and can like hear that you know the sort of iconic theme music and see it, and he knows that the jig is up. Um, but as you said, there's really no. There, there's nothing that's like there's no comeuppance for any of this, and I don't think the film even leads you to believe that there's going to be one. Mainly because I mean the character outs himself pretty early on, and then we're just sort of waiting to play catch up. But um, I don't know. I, I, I think it's enjoyable, but there's probably a good reason that like you know in twenty years I've not like. Replayed it either. I've not gone back to it. Although you did point out to me, I think on a, I don't know if it made the cut of a previous episode, but in conversation that there's a, uh, is there 2019 Blu-ray that just released for this thing? Yes. (laughs) So there are
1: fans out there, and they all work at they all work at Kino Lorber uh, (laughs) Studio Classics. (laughs) Um, What would
0: you uh, here? Since you're uh, you're on the uh, more negative side, but I I think you know you're. I don't think you're actually being as uh, as negative as you think you are. What you know what? What do you think this film is aspiring to? Like a, a certain type of movie that sort of works on this level that does it far more effectively.
1: Well, to you know, just I mean, you're saying I, I'm not going too negative. Uh, this is this is like near the bottom. I think I probably bottom ten uh, of 1999. So for you don't. Me. You don't sound so that that's way. Pretty, I, mean, I know. I'm not angry about it. Like I'm not angry. <laughs> like the flaws in it are so obvious to me. The the and and yeah, it you know it it has almost no appeal, no fan base today. And so yeah, I I you know it's not like like what am I gonna do? You'd be like, oh, I can't believe people are are into this. <laughs> I just think it represents Kazdan on the downswing and kind of giving into his worst instincts in terms of something you know that worked. I think I kind of touched on it. In that, uh, you you know, this is, you know, the Music Man, the Music Man from 1962 uh, with Robert Preston. Uh, You know, that's I know you hate musicals, but you know, Mm -hmm. a lot of people who hate musicals usually like the Music Man because there's not a lot of, um, not a lot. There, there's some, but there's not a lot of really stagey breakout into into song uh, moments. yeah I think and, I've seen the uh, Simpsons episode based yeah exactly on that. that's exactly. all I need so there we go i i don't think I don't think con artists are very interesting when you're not seeing the machinations uh behind it. you know what i mean like you 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 can kind of root to hate someone who's manipulating people as long as you you're kind of in on the joke, but when it's like you know Mr. blankface here just kind of <laughs> you know coyly you know like lying to people. all the time for, for, for almost no reason, really. Um, it's just like, he just couldn't figure out a place in society for himself. Otherwise, Mm. uh, yeah, that's
0: actually, I mean, that's interesting. I mean, if it's just someone like basically he just wants to be left alone from his own, you know, his previous life. Now it's a life completely of his own making as far as all, all the the negative uh, things that were happening there That, that was, you know, you've got a drug addict and, uh, a guy like uh, sleeping with his partner's wife, and I mean he's doing all of the uh, sort of tropey, I guess, cop things, even though he's uh, <laughs> some sort of some sort of seedy IRS guy. Um, but I mean, just you phrasing it like that, I'm like, well, that's interesting. Uh, but I, I don't know, I, ju- I can't really make heads or tails why. There's like certain parts in this film. It's almost like Kazan had written different scenes or had ideas in his head for other things and then cut them out and then sort of pasted them pasted them together here. Uh, and it just doesn't doesn't ever really totally come together. But it's uh it is, you know, it's very likable. It's very it's it's sweet. And I I did enjoy my time with it. But I mean that you have to admit there's there's obviously like going through, maybe not with like body heat, but there's definitely a certain degree of hokiness that you have to accept with Cassin's uh, work, especially the stuff that he directed, like going back to Grand Canyon, which is a film I like. You know, it's a very kind of hokey, kind of cornballish movie, mm-hmm. but it's, it's mm-hmm. sweet and I enjoy
1: it. Grand Canyon has its flaws too, but I think overall you just care for the characters more. Uh, you know, even even though I like the cast and everything, they weren't really given full fledged, whole three dimensional characters. Uh, to play. Even Jason Lee, he doesn't really have much of an arc. We get a lot of introductions with him about things, but we don't really see where they end up. Other than what you said, everyone is kind of set up to end up with someone, which is not really very clever uh, to me. Uh, And okay. Lee's
0: problem is basically
1: just speak to
0: the first woman you see.
1: Yeah. (laughs) You should be all right. (laughs) That's it. Well, so look, okay. I'm reading, I'm reading this right now. Uh, Johnny Depp was originally offered the part of Mumford and, and I, you know, I guess he turned it down. And so, yes, the natural, uh, next step, of course, (laughs) you know, to, to go from, you know, it's super animated, super charismatic Johnny Depp. Oh, Lauren Dean. Uh, this is the disconnect. I'm not understanding. I think maybe, maybe it was meant for a bigger star and then it fell through at the last minute. And, and that's why. It, but but you know I I don't know I'm 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 kind of puzzled as to why critics like this in 1999.
0: I'm I'm telling you Lauren Dean was on the come up and I guess Mumford just killed <laughs> it. <laughs>
1: that, that was, but people liked it. it. People I mean you know the people who saw it for the most part seemed like it. It was like a pretty it. big bomb though. Yeah it was a bomb. It, it was a huge bomb. But you yeah. know
0: budget of 28 million dollars. That's just <laughs>
1: Okay, this and that's the other thing I really so I, I touched upon it earlier but the 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 fact that he's so judgmental of his patients' uh sexual fantasies and everything it's like, you know, you're lying about your whole identity. <laughs> and Did you're you taking you money. judgmental about the I just yeah, thought Yeah, the... he he tells them to like leave right away and never bring this up again uh and every, like like it was just like like, you know. I I I I the, in terms of like therapists on screen my my favorite would probably be uh Judd Hirsch in Ordinary People and I don't know if you've seen that movie but one of mm-hmm. the things I like about it that movie is he's not presented as some brilliant hero or or is he presented as some you know heartless villain he's just presented as a normal guy you know, not really who doesn't really know the exact solutions to Timothy Hutton's problems. But he's really he's trying just as hard as Timothy Hutton is. And and what we get here is like the, you know, yes, the miracle worker who doesn't really say anything uh, of any consequence or of any use. But everyone loves him and uh, just the same uh, and can't imagine their lives without the, you know, the positive effect he's had on them, which I just don't, don't buy. I just don't buy it.
0: I was trying to think of my favorite, uh, therapist on screen. Uh, other than going to like, you know, the Sopranos or something. Um, I'll probably just go with Faye Dunaway from, okay. uh, Tom, Thomas crown affair, a, a recent one. You know, there she, you go. I mean, yeah, she, she throws some jabs and some haymakers. She pushes back on Pierce Brosnan. That was pretty fun. Very, very
1: brief, but it was fun. And there you go. So I don't think Lawrence Kasdan <laughs> will be making a comeback anytime soon. Jeez. I think he's, he's about done. Well, he, uh,
0: yeah, he's he did rear his head up, uh, was it last year, to produce the first uh, financial bomb in the Star Wars series with Solo. So, yeah, yep. the, the curse of Mumford <laughs> lives on.
1: You know what we need to do? We got to make this Han Solo guy just totally uncharismatic, uh, completely. It <laughs> seems
0: to be his thing. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, all right. What do, what do we got next? I don't have it pulled up. You want to quiz me or are we done with that? What's our new thing we're doing with uh, uh, next up?
1: So, I yeah, I will quiz you, I guess, uh, the, a number and then a uh, a card in uh, poker. Oh, okay. Three Kings. This there is a big go.
0: release. We actually, you know, this is <laughs> moving away from Mumford. This is, uh, you know, a big studio film. I believe it was a hit. And, of course, it's got George Clooney. Uh, Spike Jones is in this, right? Was he yep. actually
1: credited for this one? I believe so, but I had to look it up later. Uh, so maybe not.
0: <laughs> and, uh, you know, that's the, the film nerd in me, uh, you know, placing him above Mark Wahlberg, Ice Cube. Uh, but, yeah, um been looking forward to this one. This is one that I remember really liking uh, back in 1999. And I remember watching it a few times. On DVD, but it's been a while. It's it's probably been well over a decade since I've checked this one out.
1: Yeah, I'm in the same I'm in the same boat. I remember liking this quite a bit in October of 1999. So give us something witty to to take us out, (laughs) (laughs) Denniston, because that's not going to cut it. I just you know, I
0: just thought that you would have more of a defense of Lauren Dean because Clint Eastwood <laughs> seems to really like him because Space Cowboys, Big Gap, and he was in The Mule. You know, he's, uh, he's he apparently has developed quite the friendship with Mr. Eastwood, so or at least some sort of working relationship. I'm just I'm surprised that you were so negative on this, this Clint, poor Clint guy. Clint
1: Eastwood cast a plastic doll in a scene from American <laughs> Sniper. I mean, his you know he's a great director, but I don't think his standards are so high. Uh, you know, in that regard. Till it shines oh, Till it shines Like an echo down a
0: canyon And if you'd like to continue the conversation with us, feel free to do so here. on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook Lately at 99 from 99.
1: Distance, not the words I hear I've been too long on these islands I've been far too long alone I've been too long without summer In this winter home